Hello, and welcome to the Live Thrivingly podcast. Today's guest and I crossed paths at Dave Asprey's seventh annual biohacking conference in 2021. His education includes a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry from Stony Brook and a DO from Tourcom, where his research was in neuromyofascial plasticity in somatic dysfunctions. He is the founder of Alpha Health, a millennial and Gen Z community of biohackers working together to reverse the effects of chronic metabolic disorders. Thanks for being here today, Shaquille. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you for having me on your show. So to start off, man, I just kind of want to break the ice with uh, what's your favorite hobby and, and why? Wow, great question. So probably for the last few years, my favorite hobby has been breath work, even though it might not seem like it, but like the therapeutic benefits you get are so multimodal that it's just like, I keep getting inspired to keep doing it over and over. Man, I love that. I'm a, I'm a devoted practicer of breath work as well. So what's your, what's your uh, breath work practice exactly? Yeah, so it's changing overall. What, how I got introduced to breathwork, though, that's the funny story. Uh, Wim Hof, have you heard of Wim Hof before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that guy, you know, I have a medical background. So when I heard him do his spiel and then just talking about it, I'm like, what is this guy talking about? So then I started trying out what he's talking about. And then I realized, whoa, 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 there's something that we're not really discussing with like normal people. And so when I started doing this practice and I realized, okay, there's a profound connection between uh, you and, and your physical being, right? When you take in that breath, it's so visceral. And so I did his for a while, like his strategy. And then I realized, okay, I can modify this as, you know, I know how to actually use the human body. So what can, what else can I do? So I practiced a lot, did a lot of weird things, but then eventually you got to like come back to a baseline of normal. So now I just follow some guided meditations with breath work and I just let them guide me sort of without me even thinking about it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I practice Wim Hof's breath work. It is a, it is a unique method for those that haven't tried it, man. The, the feeling is, is surreal. Yeah, it really is. And then, you know, I don't know, what's the longest time you've ever done breathwork for? Um, the longest hold I've had, probably close to three minutes. But okay. I've done it, you know, I've done four sessions back to back of Wim Hof's uh, 30 breaths and then hold and then um, I combine that with the cold plunge as well. Mm, nice, nice. Okay, so yeah, that's pretty impressive, right? Three minutes, that's not normal, right? Most people can't do more than three minutes. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, okay, uh, consciously breathing, maybe what, 30 minutes? You said four sessions you did. So how, how long is that? Yeah, probably about 30 minutes. Okay, yeah. So when you get like to the layers of like an hour, two hours, or even three hours, uh, it's unreal, right? So what, what, if you don't mind, I want to just tell you a little bit yeah. of the physiology behind the breath work. You're cool with that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, let's blow your read um your audience's mind. So when you take in that initial breath, you know, you're what are you what are you fundamentally doing? You're taking in oxygen from the environment into your body, and then that oxygen will diffuse from your lungs into your blood system, and then eventually those oxygen will go into the tissues and cells. Does that are we on the same page on that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so once you take it. 
once you do it for such a long period of time, you over hyper exogenate your body. And as a result, your body has so much energy that it starts charging up the nerves. And when the nerves get charged up again, it starts on the periphery and then it goes into your central nervous system and it starts charging up your nervous system. So now then there's a counter effect where the nervous system now starts charging the rest of your body. <laughs> so if you do it enough time, you essentially electrify yourself and you just feel really, really charged up. Wow, I love that. Thanks for uh, giving us kind of the deeper dive in the physiology there, Shaquille. Yeah, no worries. But that's what blew my mind because I realized, okay, if we could do this with the human, like most people are not really breathing, right? That's one of the big things that we'll, we'll be discussing later when I talk about the alpha protocol. Most people are just like sitting down, shallow breathing. And so they're not getting enough oxygen. And then you know, you would think, why are they saying they don't have enough energy? It's because of their lifestyle, the way they are. They're not properly breathing. As a result, they're not getting enough energy. As a result, they're complaining about not getting enough energy. So it's like this vicious cycle right around. Yeah, it's very connected. So yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive into some of your backstory and uh, what formative experiences have led you down the path you walk today? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So that was really funny when you actually asked me that uh, on our pre-call. So I was like, okay, how do I succinctly <laughs> put all that information into like simple words? But then, you know, since now we're on a call, I can definitely dive a little deeper. So initially, as I told you, I have a medical background, but like my journey really started uh, when I was in high school of sorts, right? That's where, let's just put, let's set the stage. I think it was the year 2005 to 2009-ish time period. And so once I graduated and, you know, you're supposed to decide sort of, you have to know what your future is going to look like and everybody and their mothers wanted to go into medicine. And then I realized, you know, that's not a bad idea. It seems like something I can do. I feel drawn by the sciences. I'm pretty good with the human body. So let's go ahead and pursue medicine. So I was pre-med and then I, you know, of course you need to do a hard sciences too. So I'm like, you know what, what's the hardest sciences <laughs> I can do in school and decided biochemistry was pretty hard in my school in uh, Stony Brook. It was probably one of the hardest. And so, okay, I'm, as you can sort of tell, like I'm one of those guys that are type A, I'm just like always pushing to the limits of what is possible. So I did biochemistry. I finished uh, undergrad with a biochem degree. And then I pursued, you know what, if I'm going to go to medical school, uh, what's my options? And then at that time, there was, uh, I don't know how familiar you are, but there's MDs and DOs. MDs specialize in allopathic medicine. And then uh, I found this DO and they specialize in osteopathic medicine, but it's a more holistic approach to how to go about, you know, using medicine because with allopaths, it's like, okay, you have an elbow pain. Okay. They just focus on the elbow and then they just give you medication or whatever else to fix that. But with osteopaths, they're like, oh, you have an elbow problem. All right, let's take a look at your, um, elbow let's take, let's take a look at your wrist let's take a look at your elbow let's take a look at your shoulder or maybe there's a connection between your other side of your body so it's more of a holistic approach and i think that goes perfectly with your podcast right <laughs> absolutely bingo so then th that obviously interested me at that time okay so instead of us just looking at a pinpoint problem we're looking at an overall picture of what could fundamentally cause that problem so we don't have it in the future so I went down that rabbit hole, I studied medicine. And then, like you said, my research, one of the things that really fascinated me was the fascia. So even though I say neuromyoplasticity, it's really the fascia that's being uh, worked on on your body. So most people don't realize, right? So we have the 
the cognitive intelligence that we always talk to everybody about with IQ. We have an emotional intelligence. Most people don't realize, but it's like actually your GI system. That's your emotional intelligence. But we also have a third intelligence that most people don't talk about is the kinesthetic intelligence, right? When you walk around, move around, sometimes you react faster than you even think about you reacting. It's because your fascial layer has all these nerves permeating through it, uh, micro nerves, to be honest, that allows you to interact with you or sort of interface with your world. Uh, a much more fundamental level. So I really focus on that, on how do we sort of think about the fascia? Because right now people don't really think about the fascia, right? They think about the muscles and the bones, thinking that's like the final product when you do bodybuilding or whatnot. But in reality, the fascia is that spider web that's sort of encompassing your whole being. And then we put a layer of skin just so that I see you. But if I were to take your skin off, right? Everyone has a fascia. And so I was really excited about that. And I, I practiced that and uh, I did a lot of research and which, which helped me as well. Right. So uh, when you initially, uh, when you do whatever that you're pursuing, you sort of apply it to yourself as well. And then once you see benefits, then you just want to like tell everybody. Right. But then the problem with that is not everybody will be enthusiastic as you. Right? <laughs> so yeah. that, that became a big situation, but it's okay. I had a lot of fun doing it. But then as I was finishing school my last year, doing my boards and everything, uh, some, you know, life experiences happen, right? Not, not everything is rosy as you go through life. And um, one of the big events that occurred to me was my father needing to get open heart surgery. Uh, if you want, we can dive a little deeper into that. That really explains like my transformation of sorts. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. So get ready. <laughs> So basically, when uh, in my last year, my father needed to get open heart surgery, and I didn't know about this. I knew that he had a heart attack 10 years before. I figured, you know, that stuff. I was like, you know what? Once I become a doctor, I do my thing. I'll take care of him and then, you know, whatever. But then since it happened earlier, and then uh, we go to the cardiologist, and he's like, you know what? We, we took a look at his heart. His heart is, uh, arteries are getting clogged again. We need to uh, pursue some aggressive methods. I'm like, okay, what do you have in mind? And when they said a cabbage, I don't know how familiar you are with uh coronary artery bypass graft, but basically they wanted to take a, a vein from his leg and then create a bypass around his heart so that, you know, the heart can get more oxygen. And, uh, you know, in theory, it sounds amazing, right? This is high tech stuff. But then when you see this in action, meaning when you're in the operating room, seeing these individuals, uh, getting this procedure done, it's one of the most brutal procedures you can actually have in your life. I want you to put this into perspective. Someone comes in or shatters your chest open, um, has your heart exposed, cuts your leg open, takes a vein, uh, puts it in between the, the vessels and then locks you up. And then somehow after that, you know, in theory, you should be great. But what fundamentally went down in your body, right? Your body just went through shock. It essentially went through war, right? You just came out of war. And now somehow these, you know, painkillers or something is somehow supposed to get rid of that pain. And you go, no, 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 my friend. What ends up happening is that your body is like debilitated as hell. Like you are no longer the same individual. You age almost 10 to 15 years faster and your quality of life completely degrades, right? Unless you have like world renowned staff at your bedside at all time to make sure you can recover properly. Uh, you don't really come back from that. Like, so at that time, my father was like 50 something, uh, actually no 60 something. And uh, you know, at that point he would be like an old man and he wouldn't be able to live his life. But that's the backstory, right? So they wanted to do that to him. And what's so ironic, this, the, the whole story would have been different. I told the cardiothoracic surgeon, listen, you want to do this? All right, we can do this, but you have to put me in the room. 
you have to put me in the room so I know that everything that you're doing, I can actually, you know, reverse engineer and help him when he comes out of it. I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate for him. He didn't. Get... <laughs> he said no. He said no. And then at that point, my mind, as I told you, I'm a type A, I will find a solution. So you, if you're telling me, no, I can't be in the room to you know, make sure I monitor my father's progress. All right, let's find a different way, right? Different way led me down the path that we're going to talk about right now. So then at one point, I just got aggravated with the system. I'm like, okay, so you're, you're telling me that you rather do this than finding any other alternative mode that's maybe non-invasive to help him you know, succeed. And they they just didn't want to because at that point, I also knew it's a little pathological in the sense that there was a lot more money being made if I were to do the surgery compared to we pursuing other, you know, alternative or holistic means. And so that sort of triggered me, right? So I'm going to enter the system uh, that, you know, I want to help all these individuals, but the system itself is sort of becoming, uh, I don't know, uh, in, our incentives are misaligned, essentially. And as a result of that, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. What was the solution? Then what I did is I took that man, which was my father, I took all his diseases, uh, you know, heart, heart disease, uh, diabetes, high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia, all the diseases that you can think about, I put it on the table. And I was like, okay, these are all the diseases, great. Maybe there's a root cause to all these, right? So maybe it's not one happening all different times. Maybe one is causing the rest of it. And my exploration led me down to a path of, okay, it seems like it all roots down to diabetes. Once you figure out what diabetes is, you realize all these chronic pathological metabolic disorders are sort of arising from it. So I'm like, okay, how do I actually help someone? And then it blew my mind when I was doing the research for diabetes. And one, I did not care about diabetes. I didn't care about any of these diseases, but I was forced to figure this stuff out. And so when I went down the rabbit hole of the disease, you know, it took me down to CDC, the FDA, just overall the global situation with diabetes. And uh, it blew my mind. It completely just shocked the shit out of me. And I was so surprised it's not being talked about even more. So there was this one chart in the CDC report that was published in, I think, the year 2015. And it essentially shows you an exponential chart of the cases or just the prevalence of this disease. And it, I was just really confused because we would want to see this maybe in a stock chart or balance accounts, but these are human beings that are being affected by it. And just to put into context for your audience, there's 330 million people in America and roughly 160 plus million either have diabetes or pre-diabetes. Uh, this is, we're talking 50 plus percent of the population. And let's not forget, right, the pandemic happened. So it's accelerated that trend even more. So when the data comes out now in the year 2019 or whatever the last one is, it's a lot more than that. And again, to put into context, if I were to go outside right now, six to seven out of 10 people would have either obesity, diabetes, hypertension, like all these metabolic disorders. This to me sounds like a problem. I don't know about you. What do you think, Jackson? Does it sound like a problem? <laughs> yeah, most definitely. It's 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 a huge pandemic that's affecting us. And it's, it's not necessarily as talked about and as understood, but it's definitely there. And there, there are solutions for it. If we're ready to open up our minds and, and change the way we do some things. I agree. I hundred percent, if we wanted to, right, that's the key word. So then, you know, as I was figuring this out and then I had to figure out for my father, I, I solved his problem, no problem. And uh, the situation with him was like, okay, not only him, just in general, this type of metabolic disorder, this chronic disease, it's, it's not 
a physiological problem. It's also a psychosocial problem, a lifestyle problem, right? It's like, how do you actually live your life? And so this man, you know, once he had that heart attack and, you know, he recovered, uh, he followed the regimen, what the current protocol recommends, right? You know, uh, exercise, eat right and take your medication and then good luck. That was <laughs> the situation for a while. And then 10 years down the line goes, and then we have the situation again, but this time it's even worse, which confused me. So that means that this protocol is not working. And at that point, I figured out, okay, how do I imp improve upon what's currently existing and make it maybe simple? And that's when Alpha Health was born. Uh, so with Alpha, what we figured out is, okay, if we wanted to make sure individuals are properly optimizing to their genetic potential, uh, let's first focus on three fundamental cores, as I like to say. So the protocol is called Core M3. And we really focus on the movement aspect, the metabolism aspect, and the mindset aspect, right? So movement, are you moving? Are you even not moving? So those two questions to be asked, and then metabolism, what are you putting in your body? And what are you not putting inside your body, right? And then mindset, what are you thinking about your health? And what are you not thinking about your health? And so what you realize is if you obsess over these three words, movement, metabolism, mindset, movement, metabolism, mindset, what you're going to realize is your body's naturally going to just give you these answers real quick. And then you, it's up to you at that point to make a decision. So do you want to act upon your movement? Do you want to act upon your metabolism? And so you are in charge, no longer some other external third party is responsible for your health, but you are in charge. And so, which is great. So I created the protocol, found the science behind the research, everything. And I started applying it to a lot of my customers and clients. And it was great. It was great. But then what I realized is, okay, Shaquille, uh, you are one human, and I'm sure other humans are doing it too, but the rate at which the disease is progressing, it's impossible for you as one human to accommodate that. And uh, it'll take me a million lifetimes to even get to that number. And so I realized, okay, is there any other way to make this happen without it being so manual? And so I, I scoured the world. I just tried to figure out, okay, what is probably the best way to help 100 millions, which as you'll see in my tagline in LinkedIn, I wanted a realistic number, even though it sounds pretty crazy. I wanted a realistic number so that I can actually help these individuals. And then um, it wasn't too out of reach because if you think about it right now, me and you are on Zoom. How many humans in the world are using Zoom right now? Uh, quite a bit, right? <laughs> so it's not, it's not impossible. Google, Facebook, Apple, what they figured out is how do I scale solutions? And uh, software is a fantastic, fantastic modality and a medium. Uh, to make that happen. So then I was like, okay, let's take a step back from the alpha protocol. And, uh, you know, what would humans need to sort of uh, prime themselves with before they actually enter alpha? And uh, what I found out is um, the core of any sort of change are your habits. Are you familiar with habits? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell me, what is your understanding of habits? Uh, how would you describe it to a layman? Yeah. So habits to me is, uh, those just the daily things that we're we're just kind of program our, programming ourselves to do they almost eventually become subconscious so if you if you're not you know in the movement and exercise that and that's not a habit for you then you know you're sitting around you're sitting on the couch that's a habit for you that's your the habits underwrite your lifestyle um i guess that's how i would explain it no no that was that was beyond perfect you hit it on the nose so Think of habits as the software analogy to computers, right? So just how we use software and computers, habits are that software for the human, right? You program through rep rep repetitive tasks, the same type of motions, and those habits can be positive or they could be pathological, right? 
So now think about all these individuals that have these metabolic disorders. What type of habits have they been building through time, right? A lot of them for their movement, non-existent. They rather sit on a couch and, and as a result, their body habits changes and morphs into the form that they look like, whatever they look like. And then we have those eating habits, right? It's, it's not even their fault, to be honest. And I was sort of victim to it as well. It's just so easy to buy processed foods. It's just so easy to get those satiating foods that have no nutrients value, but it's just one easy, cheap, and just tastes good. And so as a result, you create these habits, your saliva changes, your, your palate changes. And so you will always want to crave those foods. So knowing what habits are, and since we both are in alignment with that, then it makes sense to like, okay, how do we help humans implement habits? And so I, that's when I went on a journey of like doing the scientific research and behavioral analysis and data science to figure out, okay, um, if I were to help people change habits right now, is there anything in the market that can help me do that? So that's when I, you know, scoured the internet, look for apps and see what is good. And then, you know, I tried a bunch and I just realized all of them are just like too too clown-like to me. <laughs> That's the only mm -hmm. way I can describe it. It's like a distracting, taking your attention away from really what you're trying to do, you know, different business models, spam ads, all this. And it just like, it bothered me. And that's when I figured out, you know what? I, I know I have this medical background. I know I don't have the technical experience uh, to actually build one of these apps. But then what I could do is I'm intelligent enough to maybe even get the proof of concept down, right? So I can at least, you know, wireframe, build it into some sort of software where I can actually experience it. And fortunately, when after I built it, I took over LA, I showed a lot of people and they really enjoyed what they saw. But then I failed at that point. I failed because it was too much of marketing compared to me actually building the product, right? I was too hyped up about trying to tell everybody how to use this thing and everyone's excited, but then, okay, what now? <laughs> so I ended up taking, again, reimagining what I'm going to be doing. And I took a step back and I, now I just stopped the marketing aspect. I'm like, all right, hunker down, let's build this product. And so one of the key benefits that I did is when I built that proof of concept is I learned the language of computers. Uh, it was forced me to learn okay, how do computers talk, you know, you know, how do you build apps? So as a result of that, I was able to, you know, with my proof of concept, take it to developers, talk with them, talk their language, because they have a way they need to be talked to when they build these things. Uh, and then I talked to them. So for the last two years, after I built that protocol, so protocol, let's go back three years. And then for the last two years, I've been building and testing and analyzing the data from the app. And so what ended up coming to fruition is this app called HabList. It's a habit plus list. It's basically a habit tracker that really helps you uh, just Again, think of it as a utility, right? Just like how you have a flashlight app on your phone just when you need the flashlight. Uh, the Hablist app is a utility that just exists for you uh, to keep you on track, keep you accountable, uh, remind you via nudges to alert you like, hey, you said that you wanted to build this habit. And so when you see that notification, you see like, okay, yeah, I did tell myself that. So it sort of <laughs> internalizes the idea of, you know, are you going to hold yourself accountable? Not only that, there's a lot of other Easter eggs that I put in and where you'll learn more about it as you go through the experience. One of the big things I like to do and apply in my life is this concept called KISS. Have you heard of this before? K-I-S-S. -S. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Basically, it means keep it simple, stupid, right? So everything that you don't overcomplicate it, because as I know for myself being a human, is that when you overstimulate me, which we all are right now, right? We have phones, iPads, TVs everywhere. When you're overstimulated, you technically get sort of shocked into not doing anything. And so 
while building this app, there's so many things that I wanted to add into it just so that I could have, I could be like the gorilla in the room with the health app, but I realized let's start slow. Let's make this into a journey, almost like an infinite game for the user that's doing this, that they optimize their health through time. Instead of me giving you a quick uh, fix, whether it be a pill or like a hit of dopamine or something, let's slowly build up that gradual gratification to get that health result that you want which I've been doing, right? So uh, for the last two years, I've been building it. I've been testing it. I've built almost over 15 habits, my friend. A lot of them are just things that I would never even think about I would be doing. One, taking cold showers in the morning. Two, waking up at five in the morning. Uh, three, working on my body. I've completely transformed this physical being that you see uh, from what it was when I first started to now. And it's just been remarkable. And it just keeps bringing me motivation to see what is the potential because it seems like I just scratched the surface. And so when I can make this experience for other people as well, where they see what their potential looks like, what type of world will we be living, right? An amazing looking world that I'm just envisioning uh, and I wish to see come into this reality. Hopefully that made sense to you. Yeah, all of that. So amazing. So is Alpha Health, um, is you said ha habit, habit list or habit list? Hab list is, is that part of, uh, alpha health or is that just a separate, um, entity? Yeah. Great question. So alpha health is the main organization. And so for us to even apply the protocol, uh, you need to learn how to build habits. So how this is a product within the alpha's product suite, if that makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Yes. So, Absolutely. um, I love, uh, kiss. Thanks for sharing that with me. Keep it simple, <laughs> stupid, uh, happens to me, uh, in my own personal business as well. And with the podcast too, it's like, sometimes we can really overcomplicate things and try to just add in all the upgrades at one time and just mm -hmm. keep on piling on, especially if you're type a, like you said, and, you know, to just slow down and realize that this is a journey. This is a marathon, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. And some of the stuff that we're really digging into uh, when it comes to becoming our own healers and stuff is, is pretty deep stuff. And it takes time to really understand and get that biofeedback so that you can actually start actualizing that in your reality. Oh, 100%, right? The thing is, like, we've been so primed through society especially with technology uh, to always give us that instant gratification, right? What if you want to get, a, if you want to laugh, okay, right away, we could go to YouTube, find a funny video or TikTok, whatever, find a funny video. If you want to get sad, we could do that. And so what we did is, so these, all these app generators and creators and these big businesses, they've engineered products to really manipulate our emotions at any point we want. And if they could do it in a nefarious way, we can definitely do it in a positive way where we actually help now, especially our generation and the younger and people that are living on the internet. Uh, we are very susceptible to what's happening uh, on our devices. So we're very sensitive to it. And so if we can leverage these tools for good, we can now guide us to the results that we technically want compared to what people want of us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I recently saw a comment you added to a reshared LinkedIn post by Dr. Mark Hyman, where you said, this is the future we will get as long as we maintain the status quo in regard to his comments about the current statistics that one out of three kids will be diagnosed with diabetes and four out of 10 children will be overweight. He expresses that the fundamental problem 
is around how we feed our kids and the severe lack of proper nutritional education and cooking skills. What are your thoughts on this and what can we do to support change here? Yeah, uh, that like right when I saw it, it was like a like a no brainer to me, like, yeah, I'm seeing it happen in real time. And you're absolutely right. So like I was saying before, uh, the way the food system is designed now, well, initially, when it started, if you were to go back a few decades, uh, you know, we needed more food production, right, which made sense. And that's when capitalism really took over and helped us build so many factories and whatnot to build these carb rich foods. And as a result, if you fast forward time, it just got more and more efficient and more and more like <laughs> almost drug like because they wanted to optimize efficiency and, and the efficacy of these uh, drugs as I like to call them. But now what ended up happening is all these kids that are going through the school system, they're getting it based on whatever the school system provides them. And the school system is all about volume and distribution. So they want to buy in large bulk. Uh, think of it almost like a factory product compared to it being real food. Uh, they're giving and shoving the kids these high fructose beverages, high fructose uh, wheat, bread. Everything is just really high, really amplified sugars. And so with these kids, as they're growing up, again, their bodies are so malleable. They don't really know what's happening within them. They're just growing every single day. And so when you're shoving this drug into their body, the sugars continuously, uh, their hormones get out of whack. Their hormones go out, get out of whack. And so they're essentially aging at an accelerated rate. And so which is why you're seeing, uh, you know, these disorders happening at an earlier time compared to normally it happens later on. So as Dr. Hyman said, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And like I said, the pandemic 100% accelerated this trend even more. And even with my children, I see it happening, right? They're more sedentary with the whole lockdown pandemic. They're not able to go outside and play like how we used to play when we were younger. Now they're confined to their uh, internalized homes and then locked into a screen where they enter their own metaverse. I don't know how familiar you are, <laughs> but like Roblox and Minecraft and uh, Fortnite, these have now taken over the kids' minds and souls. And so as a result, why even use your physical body anymore? We all live in our head. We don't need to use our body and the body gets, starts degrading. And then as you'll see, as people get older, those degradation in the bodies will then have an impact on their mental state. And then it just becomes a vicious cycle from there. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. It's it just the, the whole idea of the like I think I saw in your diabetes post about like the USDA food pyramid and like how mm -hmm, that's kind of mm -hmm. it's just it's just not the correct representation of like what food should be to us and especially like ancestrally how we've really eaten uh, myself I kind of follow more of a paleo diet now but it took a while to understand that like that was really broken and I don't know why that you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to realize that these people don't have your best interests in mind. Yeah. And, you know, initially I was sort of upset, right? Like, you know, as you go through it, the research and you start the application of this, you get a little upset because like, okay, why would they have this nefarious intention? But if you look at maybe from a 5D standpoint, you see that, okay, they had good intentions in the beginning, right? They just wanted to make sure all the kids get fed. We didn't want to have malnutrition, but there's like third order effects to these things. Uh, once the complexity comes in, right? There's a process in place. They try to abstract on top of it. They add more processes. And so what ends up happening is just that 
at the end of the day, profit in a capitalistic world takes over. And so uh, that just always pushes the needle to whatever direction that money is going to be generated. And so people sort of forgot now what food is. And as a result, we're having this mass, mass influx of these chronic diseases approaching reality, right? Inflammation diseases, uh, metabolic disorders, uh, mental health disorders, they're all just promulgating because through time, we haven't really addressed the root causes. We're just now addressing the band-aids that sort of just taken effect, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you go back to the root cause and it seems like, you know, so much of this root cause is in our improper education of food and real nutrition. And so um, just to kind of take a step back, um, I meant to kind of start hit on this earlier in the episode, but uh when we talk about diabetes, could you share exactly what diabetes is? Yeah, absolutely. That would, yeah, that would definitely help whoever is uh, listening. Okay. So I want you, you and your audience to just imagine uh, right now, let's just say you don't have diabetes. Let's just give you diabetes and how that would actually happen. So you're, let's just say you're a normal person, you, you eat a normal diet, but for whatever reason, life happened to you, you get upset, you have depression, whatever the situation, and now you're just eating more, you're eating more, you're moving less. And so let's fast forward time every single day. Let's just say you eat fast food, all this extra sugar is coming inside your body. Uh, you're not moving. So your body's not using any of that as fuel. So then your body's like, okay, we need to store this stored this fuel, right? So first thing it does, it, let's just say you ate a hamburger, cheeseburger meal, and the constituents, if you look at the, if I were to take that food, blend it up, make it into a mixture. And if I were to get the constituent parts to it, you'll have three fundamental macros, right? You'll have proteins, you'll have fats, and you'll have carbs. And eventually the carbs will break down to sugar, but you just ingested all of that food without moving. So your body's okay, we need to store. So first thing that happens is it tries to utilize that sugar. So the insulin will, you know, spike, it will try to push all that sugar to your blood, uh, not your blood, your muscles and your brain. And then anything left over uh, will need to be pushed into some sort of storage, which is your liver usually. Your liver converts that sugar into these glycogen. Think of them as your carbs for your uh, liver. And then if you have extra, then your body needs to go undergo a process of converting those sugars into fats. Now think about all those fats that are already being ingested. What do you think is going to happen to them? They're not being utilized. So they're going to go into storage. So they're going to go into your adipocytes, your fat cells. So those fats are going to get stored. All that extra sugar is going to become fat and then it gets stored as well. And all that extra, extra sugar that's left in your system will still just ravage through your system nonstop, right? And I want you to imagine this. Each sugar, if you've ever seen a molecule of sugar, what it looks like, glucose specifically, uh, it actually has these like these claws at the end of it and think of it as almost like ninja stars and so when these things are going through your body at let's just say and they're five liters per minute right so we're going to we're talking about thousands of miles per minute inside your body it's essentially scraping your blood vessel walls at all given times all the time so you're having this chronic inflammation all the time and so put that into perspective right now so let's just say you do this for a year okay cool yeah your immune system is strong enough it'll keep fighting it off we go two years, all right? And it stays there three years, four years, five years. And this is happening over time, over time. The, the disease itself is not a big deal in the beginning. But what happens, it has a long game. It takes a decade for it to fully manifest. And once this thing starts, the cascade effect is unreal because it forks it forks into your eye problem it forks into kidney problems it forks into uh, nerve problems and then eventually you just start dying you're, you're on a treadmill to die 
But the key indicators are if you see someone, you know, are they getting a little overweight? The moment you see someone getting overweight, then you know that they limited their movement, uh, they're eating more. And then when they start getting obese, then you know for a fact their movement is completely limited. Uh, they're eating probably the same, but then again, they're just storing a lot more because they're not moving as much. So, you know, you go from overweight, obese, and then you go to pre-diabetes, and then you might have like high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia. And then from the pre-diabetes, then you get diabetes. And then at that point, bro, I, I, I sympathize with everyone that has this because now at this point, you've pushed this disease so far down for you to reverse this. You're going to need the will of God and you're going to need to make sure that you can actually focus on yourself because you are on an hour time limit of how much time is left in your life. That makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that perspective and kind of taking us into that and uh, really showing us how that affects. I've, I've never heard it talked about in that way. I like that you bring up that, like the glucose is like a ninja star. Cause I can envision it in my mind, just, uh -huh. <laughs> just tearing everything up and stuff. And yeah. So for, for those that may be predispositioned for diabetes, you know, what do you think is the most practical advice you could give that person today that may be listening? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's something that I, I really, really focus on. And it's just a concept of predisposition, right? That's telling us that they're somehow genetically wired to uh, get this disease. And the thing is, if you really, really think about it, most humans, uh, for you to exist today, you know, your parents and their parents and their parents' parents uh, had to survive in their environment in a, in, a, in a way for them to succeed, right? So you cannot be here unless that they were successful in their, not only their physical environment, but their social, psychosocial environments as well. And so most people, as they're living life, they're not really leveraging their genetic potential. They just succumb to whatever is, they, they're sort of reactionary to their life. And so the predisposition really comes into their lifestyle, to be honest with you. Yes, they might have some sort of genetic anomaly where their protein of their HDL or LDL might be somehow a little different compared to me and you. And for, <laughs> ironically, I'm predisposed to diabetes as well, because uh, the one of the proteins that I have that I need to filter in and out cholesterol is smaller than normal, but that doesn't mean really mean anything. That just means that I need to just make sure that what I eat is not too crazy. And so there are lifestyle choices, what you eat, how you move your body, those two things fundamental, they're so damn fundamental because you are just a physical manifestation of the things you put inside your body. So if you were to put in good things, then your body will function normally. If you put in bad things, your body will react that way. And most people don't realize this, right? The majority of the food that you eat today are not real food. They're all processed food, factory created, engineered uh, to taste like food, to look like food. And it sort of fakes your brain into thinking it's food. But the moment the food goes in your mouth and your body starts processing your GI system. Like, Hey, this is, this, this looks like foreign invaders, but it looks something similar to what we normally use. Okay. We'll try this. But over time, the body starts like giving up saying, okay, this is a sort of waste of time. Why are we even using this? And then you have more and more inflammation. Your immune system starts like thinking everything is war compared to, it to just being normal. And so it's so, so critical that in these individuals, even though they might, you know, their doctor tells them that they're predisposed, just focus on their movement focus on the metabolism, and you're going to notice overnight changes because you're going to start seeing things in a different manner. I need you to bring awareness to what you actually put inside your body and how you leverage your body, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think you hit it right there at the end with the word awareness, just, just cultivating that awareness, beginning to move, beginning to put the right foods in your body. And also, I think 
the way I see it, take on the mindset that this is something that you can take in your control and is not, you know, your doctor just telling you this is, you know, when, when you find out these things, you can actually change your mindset and be like, you know, this is, this is a call to action to mm -hmm. research more into the human body and to how I can actually optimize myself. I believe like a lot of the people that get in the biohacking space in the first place, um, usually have some catalyst that brings them down, whether it's themselves or someone in their family or a friend that, you know, really makes us put forth mm -hmm. the effort to do the research and to really understand these things that a lot of people don't ever even think about. Exactly, exactly. And you hit something that I wanted to touch on. So this change in awareness, right? Uh, so I don't know how familiar you are with Michael Beckwith. There's this concept called Satori versus Kensho. Have you heard this before? Yes, I've heard this from Vishen Lakiani, Mind Valley. I know yeah. we connected. We we connected on on Mind Valley when we were together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He blew my mind when he told me that, and I really thought about it. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. So let's just for your audience, just so that you know, we set the stage. Satori versus Kensho. Basically, Michael is saying there's two ways to grow. Uh, Satori moments are growth through this inspiration, these enlightenment experiences. Whether you travel, or you meet new people, or a new relationship, something changes in your life that makes you grow into a new version of yourself. And most of the time, if you take psychedelics, sometimes you get that inspiration. But then that's rare. These type of Satori moments, they, they're rare, but they're profound. But then you also have these Kensho moments. These are more common and these are more painful experiences. You know, if your loved one dies, death of a relationship, death of a business, or in general, something that's sort of, sort of, it makes you, it, it goes into your depths. You go so low, it's, it's, gonna, it's it almost feels impossible to get out. But eventually when you do come out, you grow from that. And so what ends up happening, what you realize is most people don't care about their health. They just want to make sure that the health is there. Uh, if, the, if something is broken, that's when they sort of have that Kensho moment where they wake up, like, oh, if I don't take this seriously, I'm going to die. And that reality, that, that, <laughs> sets in for them and then that's when they sort of wake up as i like to say once you wake up then you start rethinking everything that you've done with your life and at that point you start seeing this amazing changes occur so like we were saying before the mindset yes if you're already healthy and you know people tell you you know do xyz you're like okay screw you but if you're sick and you're in you need assistance or you need help then you're more you're more open to the idea of okay what is this guy talking about is this going to help me and so a lot of my customers and clients and eventually future future customers they're gonna these individuals are at a point where they want to make some change they just need some guidance because everyone that's telling them is like more telling them in a more of a pampering way where it's like oh you should try this or oh, it might help you no 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 what i've seen work really well even for myself is like, if you tell me if i do x y and z i'm going to get this result I am more inclined compared to it might help you. We don't like uncertainty as human, as a human race, and we like certainty. And so I know you work out, I work out, majority of the biohackers, they work out, they know how to engineer their body to look like a certain way. And so we know that there is legitimacy in this. It's just that people, again, need that push. And we don't want to sort of change your mind. You need to be ready to come to us so that we can push you to the next level. Because no matter if your mind is already made up, no matter how much I talk to you, you're never, ever going to want to do anything unless you decide right or wrong. Love it. I love your three pillars. Uh, movement, metabolism, metabolism, mindset, super simple, K-I-S-S. -S learn it, live it, love it. <laughs> exactly. So help, 
everyone so much. And even if you don't have diabetes, I mean, I, I love those, those pillars are good things to, to think about and to keep forefront in our minds from a daily basis. hundred percent. And then I want to tell you a little bit more interesting information about yeah. that protocol. So I designed it for someone that is sick to go back to normal right now. What's really, really interesting is what, what do you, what happens when you apply the protocol to a normal person, when you apply it to a normal person, they optimize themselves to their real genetic potential. So you actually become more buff, more strong, more smart. It just overall, because what you're really doing is reassessing the structural foundation of who you are, right? So if you're normal and you start doing even more exercises, obviously, naturally, you're going to build more muscle. If you're normal, you eat normal. But if you start really focusing on the types of foods that you eat, now you're putting in really clean fuel. If you're normal and now you start thinking, right, okay, what is your goal? What is your aspirations? Then you obviously... It, it takes self-development to the next level, if you, if you can imagine this. So it's phenomenal in, if normal people do it. But again, uh, we wanted to make sure we can get all our brethren that are uh, you know, 160 million people that are sick. How do we make them normal? And then, of course, once they become normal, humans naturally want to aspire to higher and higher levels. I don't know about if you know about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where we all want to be enlightened. And if, as long as our health is automated, which Alpha is going to do for you, uh, you can pursue whatever life you want to live. Love it. It's been such a great conversation with you, Shaquille. And uh, it was kind of it was kind of crazy. It's been about, you know, it's been about a year and a half since since that conference. And I didn't go this year, but uh, it was it was cool to connect with you and kind of see what you're doing on LinkedIn with Alpha Health and everything. And it's been it's been an enjoyable time picking your brain. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, Jackson. Yeah. So to cap the show off, uh, I like to ask when you hear the words live thrivingly, what comes to your mind? Oh, thank you for this question. I, I actually listened to your podcast before uh, we got we hopped on the call and I really enjoy your title, right? So Thrive, there's a concept in medicine called failure to thrive. And you learn about this concept in, in the pediatric module where a lot of the children that are being born and this concept of failure to thrive applies because if the kid cannot able to sustain his life, he's going to you know, succumb to death. And so thriving is so damn fundamental in just the human experience, right? Each one of us, as we live our life every morning, if we don't wake up, uh, you know, no one's going to pick us up from our bed to the bathroom, brush our teeth, any of that stuff. We have to be our own alphas to thrive in this world. And so you having this concept of live thrivingly, I mean, that's something that all humans want to pursue. It's just that, do they know how to pursue it? And if they don't know how to pursue it, then they forget about it. But the ones that do know how to pursue it, they, they reach new heights that most people can't experience unless they themselves go through it. So thrive is the foundational concept of you even surviving. Love it. Thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, any, any last things you, you want to add, um, to tell the audience here. Well, I, I want to tell the audience that I think what you're doing is a great job in terms of like getting awareness to this concept, even though there's a lot of people trying to do the same thing. It's just, again, your voice has its own meaning and it's going to have a resonation with your, your audience, right? So we want to make sure, I think we're all on the same page that we're trying to elevate humanity to its potential. And it's just a matter of time until, you know, people sort of wake up, as I like to say, or just become aware to your surrounding and just, you know, try to live a life that not only benefits you, but also benefits your society as well. Cause we collaboratively cannot, we cannot exist if we don't help each other.
Absolutely. So Shaquille, um, where can the audience find you at, um, socials, uh, website, alpha health, et cetera. Yeah. So right now, since I'm building this, I would recommend finding me on LinkedIn. If it's a professional, you know, if you can help me in any way in building the organization, uh, LinkedIn would be a great place. But if you want to find my other socials, Instagram, I'm at Shaq of all. And then for my website, I am actually building a community for Alpha and uh, I will give you the link, but basically alphahealth.mn.co, that's where the community of biohackers are. And we share information there just so we can collaborate and just, you know, accelerate our genetic potential. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, again, such a joy having you on the podcast. We'll definitely have to have you back again one day. Uh, when this ball gets rolling even more. Uh, I appreciate you uh, bringing so much new information to my mind and uh, seeing these things in a new light. I appreciate you, Jackson. Uh, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll bring you on to Mike's show one day. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, just can the more we can just build community within this and march forward, I think that uh, this is the direction that humanity needs to go if we wish to survive. But you know, if we're already on this path, then it's like, we want to just keep bringing people on board. I agree. I agree. And like, I always like saying some of my posts, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe, right? So whatever you want to do, you eventually people are going to resonate with you and we're going to all want to join and build together. What's going on, my friends, your host here, Jackson Hall. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this amazing episode with the Shaquille Ahmed of Alpha Health. And I'd love for you to go check out his new app, Habilist, which is now available on iOS. Like he said there at the end, your vibe attracts your tribe. So if you vibe in, let's get thriving. Join the tribe on Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe on YouTube. I cannot wait to see what we can, the world that we can co-create together as we seek to live thrivingly. Thank you. And until next time, namaste.